Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to episode 33 of the 70th Podcast. I'm Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at JUMOSQ. I'm here with Chip McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Fourbert. We're here with two very special guests. 14 Team Mocker. You can go follow him at 14 Team Mocker. The number 14, not not spelled out. There's not enough characters on Twitter for that type of handle. And Matt Harmon, who you can find at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, I believe. Correct. There you go. There we go. We did it. When are you going to become all official and put NFL um, in your handle? Well, so the funny thing about the underscores, it's basically like when you get an X's name tattooed on your body, like you just, you kind of oh, just have almighty. that make ever and that's ba- like that's basically what the underscore is in my handle right now because if i take if i change my twitter handle i lose my blue chip and i i like i can't i can't lose the blue chip so yeah that's that's why it stays wait, wait if you if you change your handle you lose the blue chip i didn't know that yeah but oh it yeah comes right they told back. Me. it comes right back though yeah but i don't trust because like work did that for me and i don't trust them to like do it again I feel like they'll be like, nah, we don't want it. Nah, no, nah, no, nah, forget it. We don't need to verify you again. Trust me, it took like 20 days to get that done. You don't know. It was a whole process, man. Yeah, sounds awful. Mocker, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I was going to say it could be worse. Your handle could be something absolutely awful like what mine is. <laughs> or what mine like, was. Sunday, Sunday fiasco. Yeah, that was, like that, that was awful. we don't have to talk about that though that was dark times uh so this is going to be a fantasy centric episode justice and i we don't know jack shit about fantasy but uh mocker and matt both know way more than we do so we're just going to bounce questions off them and i think justice had a few questions that he was going to ask first yeah i just kind of want to put matt on the spot from the jump just kind of give him a little uncomfortable from the beginning nfl.com uh, I need your three hottest hottest takes for this fantasy season. Like, like, what do you consistently find yourself keeping up for? Like, I think Josh Norris from Roto World talked about like shares or something like that, which I assume is like how many times you draft a guy in a draft. Like, what what guys are you do you end up targeting a lot, and what guys do you end up avoiding? Oh man, I feel this this is like a general sense, uh, maybe a fantasy this year, but I don't feel like as in years past I'm. Like in years past, I was much more bothered by like different players that were going high or like I had guys that I was really willing to cape up for like certain wide receivers this year. I I don't have as many hot takes. Well, one, I guess this relates to you, Justice, is I'm kind of like off all of the Green Bay Packers wide receivers at cost. Like there's no way I'm drafting Devontae Adams where he goes off the board in like the fourth round. I'm typically like never excited to take Randall Cobb where he goes, even though he's, he goes super late, like wide receiver 39 range. But I, I'm just like, compl- I, it's like, he's like, he's like a whatever pick to me in the late eighth round. Like if he slips later than that, I'm cool with it. But He's one that's one, I guess, hottish take that I have. Another one that like guy one guy I consistently keep finding myself drafting that's a, a tight end is Tyler Eifert. Because I just think the Bengals are gonna be a really good offense. Oh, oh man, I, I tweeted this out like yesterday. Like 
there is not one single player in the NFL who I would bet on like his box score looking like the end of the year box score looking one game, one start. That was it. Then Tyler Eifert. <laughs> like that, that's he's dead, man. He's dead. Dude, All right, I, I get it, but he could also have like 12 touchdowns and it wouldn't surprise me. And I think from a week to like, I already know I'm getting into the fact that I'm probably going to get some missed games from him this year. But from a week to week perspective, even if he's given me 13, 10 games, I know those weeks that he's out there, he has a higher ceiling than most other non Gronk tight ends. So when, and he goes in like the seventh round range, I'm, I'm pretty much in on that. That's like a take that I've weirdly found myself ha- having lately. And I guess my last one is that like, I'm all, I'm all in on the Tyree kill thing this year. Wh- whereas I know other fantasy analysts are, are not. Yeah, I actually, I, that's another thing that I talked about. Cause when we were doing the, the uh, previews for setting the edge uh, or setting edge.com, um, when I looked at Kansas city chiefs, like Tyreek Hill was like our fifth most used wide receiver, but he led the team in like every statistical category in terms of pass catching. Uh, basically like when he was on the field, the offense essentially ran through him. Um, I would correct you on the first take, though. The the I don't trust any Green Bay receiver. Like Aaron Rodgers loves Jordy Nelson, man. Like that that thing is just going to be automatic forever. Um, I know Mocker doesn't even like uh, Mocker doesn't like Ty Montgomery very much. You got a question about that? That's coming up the pike. Uh, Mocker, what what are your thoughts on uh, on Harmon's takes? Um. So I, I if you want a hot take, I think uh, Chris Connolly will have. Uh, similar fantasy points to Tyreek Hill, and neither one will be very good. Um, what was the uh, what was oh Tyler Eifert? That's what I was. I, you said if one guy who's going to fall apart. That I wanted to ask you why because you said that. What injury did Tyler Eifert have last year? What do you mean? What injury did Tyler what Eifert have? Did Tyler Eifert have last year that you're worried about him falling apart? Wasn't it a back injury? I'm just worried. Oh, Justice thinks he's about to die. I, I want to know, like, what. <laughs> <laughs> I just think man, he misses so much time. Like, he misses so much time for someone who's, like, that good. And I have to hear about it from Bengals fans all the time. Like, he, he missed eight games last year. He missed eight games last year. He missed three games the year before. He missed 15 games the year before that. Like, I don't know how you can trust that guy. Well, he missed he missed games last year because he got hurt in the Pro Bowl the year before. Uh, he and he was coming off like an elbow injury or something like that, or a knee thing that happened that, in the Pro. Like awesome. I get, well, and I get the injuries. The injuries to the year before from two years ago, they were to his upper body and his elbow, and uh, the injury last year was to his ankle that he suffered in the Pro Bowl and it like lingered all season. And then when the Bengals were eliminated, they put him on IR. But he played for Week 16. He had um, back he surgery. Eight games, but he's playing until the end of the season. Unless you have a reason to think his ankle, you know, nine months after that is still not right. I, you know, I don't know how he's just going to fall apart. And the good part is you actually don't have to start him in the games he doesn't play. And he scores about a touchdown in every single game that he does the past two or three years. So if you're getting that in a league where you only have to start one tight end, that'll get you by. Like, when he plays, his points per game are fine. People miss the, like, missed games thing. And uh, tight end's a pretty violent position. Uh, Tight ends get injured really often, and someone who's on the field as much as he is is going to get – it can happen. And his injuries are kind of, like, unrelated, and none of them are really still lingering at this point. They were all suffered a long time ago. 
I uh, I don't know why you would think he's so injury prone. Didn't uh, he just I, have well, back surgery? Okay. Oh, yeah, but, like, yeah, I, that's the thing. I know he's going to get hurt, but, like, look at all of the tight ends that are going off the board in, like, the single-digit rounds. I mean, you've got Gronk. Kelsey had, an, had that microfracture surgery when he came into the league. Greg Olson's been really healthy, but then you got, like, Jordan Reed. All of these guys get, like like Mocker's saying, tight end's a violent position. If you're going to fade a guy at that position because of injuries, then I guess you're, like, that's not going to take one. Even a guy like Zach Ertz has missed a couple games the last few years. So it just, that, that position just tends to get hurt. And generally, why I'm okay with, like, taking an early tight end as opposed to an early quarterback is that, like, if you lose one of these guys, which are gener- like, and they are definitely positional advantages in terms of Reed, Gronk, and Eifert, when they're on the field, they're giving you that points per game advantage. But if you lose one of those, then you're just kind of back to square one where you would have been already if you took a late tight end and you're, you know, streaming some jokers like, you know, Kobe Fleener or whatever. And that's it's kind of the position you were going to be in regardless. So I just don't really see it as like a, you know, a net a net loss or anything like that. So this is what what I say when uh, when Charles and I were talking about how we have no fantasy football background and we act like idiots. Um, like you guys talking about like per game and thing like th- things like that. That's something that like I'm not looking at. Like I I was more it, it, these these conversations more came up with like Bengals fans when we did the previews and I think Charles and I kind of on the same boat where we think Cincinnati's probably gonna have a bottom ten team in the league this year and like Bengals fans just kept saying you know Eifert 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 and I'm like. I said it's not playing 16, so I guess uh, you know the the option of being able to pull off a tight end from any team in fantasy is something that I wasn't thinking because I'm a, I'm a bit of a moron. Um, let's get into well, some of these he's questions. Got, oh, he's got go 18 touchdowns in his last 21 games, and that's like super super high and rare. And it's just like you know when, when that's worth it when you got to take him wherever you got to take him. Uh, I don't know where he's going. And, yeah, his his ADP is in like the seventh round range, so yeah, it's late end, sixth. He's tight end eight on ESPN right now, and at pick seventy six. And like, if you can get that that late, I mean, it, it's really solid. And he had back surgery in December, by the way. Um, Gronk has had back surgery twice, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't trust Gronk either. I don't trust either of those guys. Charles is anti-tenant. I have a question for you guys. It's all uh, you guys look at things from If you want to talk about getting injured, I'm all in on Jordan Reed, and he's a lot more expensive than Tyler Eifert. And I'm sure he's, he is going to get injured. And like, no, he already got hurt, I think. He's already hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, but I'm all in on that because Jordan Reed scores so much when he plays. Like, I'll figure it out if when he doesn't. And you can get Vernon Davis for free, too. Like, no one's going to pick up Vernon Davis. Vernon gets injured. He steps right into that role. Guys with so, pure so. how, how much? How much How much does it matter for guys who are – so if we're talking about guys who are injury-prone, really the only thing that matters, like, in the end, right, the biggest thing that makes the difference is the, the playoff weeks in fantasy football. Um, how, how much do – how much does, like, injury volatility – mean like in terms of drafting these guys for that that playoff push like is, is that something that you guys think of where it's like well he might get hurt but if he's winning games in week one through six and he's hurt after that that really doesn't help my fantasy team like it would if you know he was even healthy for just the last you know the three playoff weeks or whatever um 
I'm really like player agnostic. Like I don't care about specific names, but guys who are older and guys who are running backs, I uh, like specific, like older running backs and the more expensive they are, the less I want them. So like uh, in the first couple rounds, I'll be taking like a wide receiver where a lot of people would be taking a, a running back and, uh, you know, the first two or three rounds, uh, I'll, I'll come away with like run, one running back in the first five or six rounds and I won't spend a draft pick that high on a running back that's really old. But that's it. it, it the specific names don't matter and whatever injuries they have, I don't think about it. But I also uh, owned quite a bit of Jamal Charles last year. So that strategy doesn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. When it comes to injuries, I tend to just realize that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. You know, when it comes to like predicting these things, you know, anybody can get hurt at any time. Certainly some guys have a larger resume of being hurt, which you can take into account. But in terms of like predicting which week it's going to happen, I I try to be pretty agnostic about that and just – just try to prepare for the situation. Like, especially, you know, I don't like to handcuff running backs in the draft, but you know, later in the, towards those fantasy playoffs, like I will start to kind of accumulate when you don't need as much depth because bye weeks are over. I'll start to accumulate some running backs, like backup running backs there to just in case one of my starters were to get hurt or another guy's starters are to get hurt. You know, then you just, you want to be able to like set yourself up to benefit from the natural chaotic happenings of an NFL season. And uh, that is just also admitting like you can't really predict these things. This is there, you know, shit's going to happen and it's just going to happen. See, I'm from draft Twitter, so I have a doctorate. Uh, I'm qualified to make these decisions and evaluate the health of, of these, uh, NFL athletes. So that's I, true. I, I can't, I can't put myself in that boat. So let's get some of these questions real quick. Uh, Tyler Walker is asking a uh, 14 team mocker. Yo, Justice, shut up. Go ahead. The greatest feature of running back injury is workload. The more the running back touches it, that's the greatest thing that we'll predict if he's going to get injured. And that's also the number one thing you want to target in a fantasy running back. So it's kind of hard for those two things to go up against each other. Continue, John. Running backs suck. Running backs suck. That's the take. <laughs> I can't say that. My favorite team just gave a running back a five-year, $41 million deal. So, Vinny Curry money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, at least we know he's better than Vinny Curry is. All right, Justice, dive into those uh, those questions. Oh, I'm allowed to talk now? Thank you very much. I You're appreciate welcome. that. Um, well, if you weren't calling in from, like, a bunker and, and I, God knows where you are, I mean, you could maybe I'm speak. I'm sorry, more. man. This is, this is, like, the eighth time I'm moving, like, in, like, a year. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing on earth. Um, so, no, Tyler man. Walker, is at his Chuck Walker 28, uh, he, he's asking 14-team Walker, not a question, just a request. Speak to Jamal, the Jamal Williams truth. So I have a bet with Justice that we get to change each other's avatar for the first week of the season, uh, depending on who gets Green Bay's first handoff. And I lost a bet to Charles about Leonard Hankerson being on the Falcons roster at the beginning of last year, too, uh, and had to have uh, the Matt Ryan bra Abby for the first week of the season. So I'll probably lose this. Uh, so Ty Montgomery will almost definitely get the first handoff of the season, um, just based on that. But I... Uh, He's only had he only had ten carries in a game once in the regular season. He only had sixty rushing yards in a game once. They gave him a lot of handoffs in the playoffs. They gave him the ball twenty five times. He only had ninety one yards with it. He, I, I, 
the way that they drafted running backs, where they took Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones right after each other in the fourth and the fifth, uh, it's and they were given work to um, I don't know how you say it, Ripkowski, Ripkowski. Uh, he fumbled in the NFC Championship game. They gave Starks work over Montgomery when he tried to come back from injury in the middle of the season. They were giving Christian Michael handoffs over him. It, I just don't. I'm not sure I buy that they see him as like a traditional bell cow running back. And that's not to say that he doesn't have value in that offense, but uh, the Packers scored passing touchdowns last year at a rate that was like much, much higher than the rest of the league. Uh, and like uh, 78% of the Packers touchdowns were passing touchdowns last year compared to 64% league average. And 51% of touchdowns that were scored inside the 10 uh, were passes league-wide compared to 76% for the Packers. So uh, if Ty Montgomery is lining up in the backfield, he's not getting those. Uh, I'm not sure that his value is where it should be based on the fact that I don't think he's going to be used like a traditional running back, whereas Jamal Williams looks like one. Uh, and I'm not sure that he's going to be able to score enough to justify his price without that usage. I don't know what Matt, Matt's take is. Yeah, I, I'm in on Ty Montgomery. I feel completely – I mean, I'm open to the fact that he might not be the Packers' feature back, but I'm also open to the possibility that he is, and I think that's a great I, – I think he has a really great floor and a really enticing ceiling. Like, at worst, I think you're getting a rich man's version of Theo Riddick because I think he'll be – he's a better player in space and he can do similar things that Riddick does. I mean, he was even doing that at times last year. Uh, and if he hits more of his ceiling, then you're kind of looking at a potential like poor man's David Johnson type of workload and the way they're going to use him. So I really like taking a bet on that in – especially in an offense like Green Bay. Typically, I just want to associate my running back picks with guys that are in good offenses. So uh, Montgomery kind of meets all of my criteria, being a pass catcher. And like I definitely think he has the, you know, the potential to lose early down work to guys like Jamal Williams and, you know, pass protection is a whole other issue. But they're, they've seemed pretty committed to the idea of the – Montgomery in the backfield experiment, you know, he's changed his physique too. So I think just reading the tea leaves, they're they're really wanting him to succeed in this role. And if he does, I think, like I said, he has a great ceiling and a really appealing floor that even if he doesn't pay off his draft cause, it won't be a complete whiff. Yeah, the thing about the thing about Ty Montgomery that is making me more concerned as we get deeper into the preseason, I guess, is uh like every single beat writer is like Ty Montgomery still sucks in pass protection. Like he's very bad when the ball's not in his hands. Um, that's an issue. I mean, he's going to be playing running back. Like he's not going to switch over to receiver anytime soon. Uh, my, my big worry is just that they don't trust him enough in pass protection to play him as like a, th- like not a three down running back, but as the, as the workload running back, you know what I mean? And if, if that's the issue, then if he, if he can't be out there in pass protection, Aaron Rodgers likes to extend these plays. Like I think Jamal Williams ends up taking that job at some point. Um, that, that's my big worry there. I'm totally out. You, you uh, Mocker, you talked about Aaron Aaron Jones. I'm totally out on Aaron Jones. Like Aaron Jones is a third down back in my opinion. So like he he's a guy who like I think is like Ty Montgomery's backup. And like if he's if Ty Montgomery doesn't end up getting that number one job, then he's like a second string third down uh, receiver. 
uh, or uh, receiving back. Like I, I don't understand like how that even gets on the field outside of special teams. All right. Well, my expertise there was not needed, so we'll just move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, next question from 24 Kieran Magic at Ryan underscore Kieran. Is this a year Frank Gore finally dies or am I going to still regret passing on him late? Uh, Mark talked about old running backs. So does this apply to, does this apply to Frank Gore? I would assume so. If if you want to generally fade old backs. Um, generally, but he's not expensive enough that it matters. Like he's such a late pick and so Frank Gore brings up a, a kind of general issue in, in fantasy football where um, he can really help you win early in the season at his cost, but uh, counting on him to be there late is, is tough. So if you play in a larger league where fewer teams make the playoff and starting running backs are hard to come by that cheap, he's a lot more valuable at winning regular season games. If you, win a, if you play in a league where six out of 10 or 12 teams make the playoffs and you consistently make the playoffs every year and winning the regular season is not a problem, especially through the bye weeks. Um, it, it's going to help you less, but then you got to weigh how valuable a bye week is in the playoffs. Uh, it increases your chances of winning by quite a bit, uh, just by the randomness of not having to play that week. Um, but Frank Gore's it's it's such a weird thing. Uh, the last year and the year before when he went to Indianapolis, he had more targets each of those years than he had in the two years combined in San Francisco. And it, it's it's very weird that he just keeps getting this usage that no one else has ever had, and and in just really bizarre and unpredictable ways, uh, he just doesn't nothing happens. It's very weird. It just keeps coming. Yeah, I'm fine with Frank Gore. I mean, like you said, he's he's so cheap that I don't even really worry too much about any concerns with him. Although I would say, like, you you make you make a good point about him being more valuable early in the season. The luck injury does like give me a little bit of pause to that because I definitely don't want a ancient running back starting in a bad offense with like Scott Tolzine at the helm. That sounds really unappealing. But taking that away for a second, I mean, he's going off the board like outside the top 30 running backs. It's really easy to project him for 240 plus carries and like 40, 40 receptions. And at, at that kind of workload, that cheap, I, I know he's not going to be super efficient or it's, and it's like a, the least sexy pick you can possibly make. But, you know, if, especially if you go wide receivers early, then he makes a nice, you know, floor pick at his, at his ADP. So I don't really care too much about concerns. I think, I mean, he just doesn't have a lot of competition there. So what, you know, who else is going to take the ball? Now, what's the deal with Luck? Because I didn't even know I didn't even know that Luck wasn't practicing until earlier this afternoon. Like I had no idea that he'd been held out. So is, it, is this a real concern that he misses week one? Yeah. I don't know. The report today was that they, they he's not going to be on the pup list to start the season, but n- nobody is confirming whether he's going to play week one or not. And I mean, he hasn't thrown all off season for like really taking part in any like organized throwing with the team or anything like that. So. I mean, who the hell knows? It's one of the weirder situations this offseason, and I have no idea. I have no idea how it's going to shake out. I I predicted he would start the, se- the season on the pup, and even if he doesn't, they'll want to keep that in play by not letting him practice in the preseason. If he practices once, they can't do that anymore. 
So I think at the very least, he won't practice before week one because before the 53 man is final, because they'll want to keep that option available. Um, also, they've talked to uh, someone in Indianapolis was talking about Robert Turbin uh, getting yeah. a lot of work over Frank Gore. But um, I think it's going to be Frank Gore's final season and they're going to give him a lot of work and there's going to be like, you know, they'll like stop play and they'll be like, he's fourth all time rushing and like all that kind of stuff. And I think they're going to feed him in his last season and like ceremoniously give him a lot of work. But uh, he represents a weird thing um, that's called the gambler's fallacy. Uh, The example is like if you flip a coin 10 times in a row and it lands on heads nine, you think uh, it's not as likely to land on heads the 10th time as it is on any other flip because you're thinking about it like in a different way. And Frank Gore not getting hurt year after year after year doesn't signal that he's not going to get hurt this year. People want to use it that way, but that's the gambler's fallacy. He has just as much chance of getting hurt as he does in any other season. He just hasn't happened to get hurt. Yeah. So it, it, it's, you know, he can't play forever. I mean, if anyone could, he, he, I mean, Anquan Bolden's still playing, but he's not touching the ball 300 times. So uh, just one point I wanted to make on the Colts. Uh, this is from our preview. Uh, usually you would, you, would, uh, you would correlate tackle for loss percentage with first-level blocking, like run blocking, right? Um, the Indianapolis Colts were first in tackle for loss percentage last year. But they were just 22nd in yards per carry. That was the biggest split in the NFL. I think the only team that was kind of close was uh, the Carolina Panthers, who ended up adding a first-round running back. So, like, Indianapolis should have been a team that should have been, like, on paper, uh, they should have been targeting a running back in the draft or in free agency or something like that. And the only guy that they ended up adding was that fourth-round pick, Marlon Mack, who I'm actually a pretty big fan of. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard any of the camp notes or anything like that to see if he's moving up the – up the uh, depth chart or anything like that. But if Robert Turbin is, like, solidified as RV2, I could totally see Frank Gore being, like, the guy. I mean, Frank Gore got five times as many carries as any other running back on that team last year. Robert Turbin's not bad. He's good-ish. He, ish, yeah. I get, he had three, three and a half yards per carry last year. He's, yeah. he's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on. All right, Chuck. Yeah. I got a question. What? I got a question. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, this is from our good friend, David Gamble. This thing is not loading on my computer. Oh, there we go. For Matt, receiver that surprised you the most while doing uh, reception perception? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I think Pierre Garçon would probably count as one, and he's a great example of a player that is really going to mesh and a tremendous opportunity with what I think is an underrated skill set. He scored at the 88th percentile in terms of success rate versus man coverage and reception perception. I was not expecting him to finish that strong, but he's a really good player. I think he's underrated and, you know, he's in a great situation, like I said, with being the top receiver in Kyle Shanahan's offense where there's really nobody else. It's a, it's a situation. And I mean, everybody said this a thousand times, but it's a situation that looks an awful lot like his 2013 season with Shanahan, where the Redskins were terrible. They went three and 13. And then he had, he led the NFL in receptions that year. So I think this could be a, a, like a similar version of that year, but not quite as, not quite as productive, but you know, where, where he's going off in fantasy draft boards right now, like in the seventh, eighth round, I'm completely comfortable with that. I think he outkicks that pretty good. Now, when you were charting uh, Garcon, did you come to the conclusion that even though the numbers for Kirk Cousin looks good, he's pretty dependent on his supporting cast? 
That is quite the leading question. I mean, you, I'm asking you. I can tell. I can tell. I can tell what you want me to answer that question. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I don't know. I think Kirk. They they definitely set that offense up really well. Uh, you, you guys, I know I work with the Next Gen Stats at the NFL Network, and we have a one metric that measures how often quarterbacks throw into tight windows. He was one of the lowest percentage percentage of his throws went to tightly covered receivers. So he de they definitely set him up with open throws well. Um, but the it's tough to say, like, is Kirk Cousins dependent on his supporting cast? Because he just consistently has a really great supporting cast that – I mean, you can you can certainly make that argument because I think last year his his crop of receivers was generally pretty underrated, and uh, this year it looks like he has a really good group too. Yeah, I just kind of wonder. Need, I need to break here. Hold up, no, I got to stop him right now because he talked about next gen stats, and I have an agenda. Okay. Um, Matt, so you you wrote that piece about interior defensive linemen and pressure, and you had Dominic Ely as like the third pressure player, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I, I have a bone to pick with uh, the uh, the draft breakdown podcast guys because they, they made fun of me for saying that Dominic Easley, like everyone could tell that guy is a bust. Can you just speak a little bit about our, our deceased comrade, Dominic Easley, and, and the greatness that, that he brought to the football field? Well, I think they're right that the pick was a that was definitely a bust pick. I mean, he oh, got he got injured. He got, I mean, this was exactly what you would have expected to happen with the way his career went. So, I mean, and he's doing, but like, it's also fair to point out he's doing this on his second team as a situational pass rusher, which I, I think their point is valid that he's, that it, the pick was a bust and it wasn't, you know, kind of not the correct move. But at the same time, the, the other point can still be true that he was a very productive situational pass rusher. I think that metric helps uh, explain that, that he was one of the most disruptive interior defensive pass rushers in the league last year. And he probably would have been this year for a Rams defense that really could have used it. So I think both answer answers can be correct. That's fine. The upside of uh, riding with Dominic Easley is he's only 25, so he's like three years younger than Andrew Luck. People still call Andrew Luck young. So we Dominic Easley still got a shot. We can still ride with him. I feel there like I, I hear people saying people are calling Andrew Luck young, but I never actually see anybody call him young. Who's calling him young? Every he's single time the young court, every single time the young quarterback conversation comes up, every single time. I don't know. I feel like you're kind of making that up, but we'll move on. Uh... Next, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's almost thirty. Uh, he's been in the league for like six years now. I don't, I've, I don't see anyone calling him young still. But if that's your truth, you accept your truth and take it as the absolute truth. Uh, next question <laughs> from uh, Dakota Moyer at Dak Moyer. Gun to your head, you have to draft one NFC East QB to be your QB one for your team. Who is it? It's so obviously Dak Prescott. Yeah. Like it's so not even close or a discussion. Dak Prescott just had the second highest adjusted net yards per pass of any quarter, rookie quarterback since 1920, who, who threw 250 passes. The number one guy, the only guy who was better than him, was Dan Marino. Uh, Dak had the third highest NEA this season behind only Brady and Matt Ryan. He had a 23-4 to touchdown-interception ratio. Dallas produced the fifth most fantasy points per attempt pass behind only the Saints, Patriots, Falcons, and Dolphins. And he was throwing a Des Bryant on one foot and Cole Beasley, who looks like a gnome. It's so obvious that Zach Prescott. Like, I, I don't know why this... Have you heard of Carson Wentz, though? 
Wait, that is this is this for is this for fantasy or yeah. for like to start a for, real life team? For fantasy. Oh, you you have you have different answers to that. That's interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah, cuz I agree totally with Mocker that it, it, for real life it would be Dak Prescott and I wouldn't even think twice about it, but cuz I thought I saw somebody responded to this question with like, "Well, just tell my wife and kids uh, that I love them," you know, implying that just go ahead and pull the trigger gun to your head, but I think all these guys are with the pro- probably with the exception of Wentz are, are decently appealing as fantasy quarterbacks and I would t- for fantasy I would easily take Kirk Cousins ahead of all these guys uh for for fantasy just because I think he's going to play in the most efficient pass heavy offense of this group I mean like I said he has a great set of weapons he's been pretty consistent year over year in in his couple of years starting here so I, I give me give me Kirk Cousins if it's a fantasy question, but if it was a real life question, I'm, I'm totally with mocker. I think Dak Prescott is special and I'm w- well on his side over the Carson Wentz side. Uh, like let your draft takes go. That would be my message there. In fantasy. I don't have a problem with Kirk cousins or Dak Prescott. I don't know who that fourth person is. You mentioned though. Um, uh, but <laughs> as far as Eli Manning, uh, he threw an average of 35 touchdowns, the two seasons before last, and uh, other than Odo Beckham, he was throwing a like Ruben Randall for most of that. Uh, last year, they only had 26 touchdowns. This year, if Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard, and Shane Vereen all stay healthy, I think Eli is going to like crush it. And I don't care like how shot his arm is or whatever. I, I, I Brandon Marshall to throw it and Odo Beckham and Sterling Shepard and Shane Vereen, I, that's, that's going to be really nice for Ben McAdoo. And, uh, I think Eli is going to be a huge beneficiary. Yeah, I, I, t- I actually I agree with that take too for for fantasy. Like the fact that guys like Jameis Winston and Derek Carr go like so far ahead of Eli Manning in drafts is pretty stupid. Even even Ben Roethlisberger is not like as good of a fantasy quarterback than Eli as Eli Manning this year. Um, I, I'm pretty comfortable with Eli just because of that, that's a that's an offense that's built to throw and they have good players and. He's got a better pedigree, I think, for at least statistically than people give him credit for. Their defense is really good. That's what kept their offense from having a throw so much last year. Which And Rashad Jennings was so terrible at rushing the ball that the games were really low scoring. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't – I can ask you guys, is their defense going to be that good again? Yeah, probably. Well, uh, well it all depends they might on – their linemen. Right, that's what I was about to say. It all depends on how many snaps that uh, – JPP and Olivier Vernon play because those guys played a lot of snaps last year. It's not like they have the depth to do that again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's move on. Let's take two more questions before we get out of here. Uh, let's see. From Ben Foldy at Ben Foldy. Dalvin Cook, ignore the spark and the offensive line and take the value opportunity. I kind of like the, the Vikings run game this year. What, what do you guys think? Dalvin Cook's been a player that I've kind of gone back and forth on like I was 100% ready to ready to fade him early on this year because I figured he would be stuck in kind of a quagmire with Latavius Murray taking goal line work and Jarek McKinnon potentially eating in as a pass catcher uh, but those guys those two guys have struggled with injuries in training camp and neither one of them has been able to create any momentum where meanwhile the drumbeat for Dalvin Cook has been pretty steady and positive Throughout the offseason, I mean, he's been getting praised for pass protection, all of that. And I, I think the whole Vikings offense, 
I'm really big on Stefan Diggs, and I like Adam Thielen and Kyle Rudolph. Like, I think their whole offense could be pretty good. And so I, do, I don't mind associating the, the starting running back uh, with the Vikings, but he's still he's still pretty expensive. I mean, he's like the running back 21 right now on Fantasy Football Calculator, and I have him ranked a little bit behind that, but I'm more in on Dalvin Cook now uh, than I was probably a few, a few months ago. And I, I could really give a damn about what his spark score is. Like, that doesn't merely that doesn't really bother me too, too much from a, from a fantasy perspective. Uh, yeah, his spark, the spark thing that doesn't predict anything. Like there's no correlation between spark score and NFL success. So like that, that doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't, um, he had 36% of Florida state yards and 37% of their touchdowns last year. And that's right in line with, uh, what Ezekiel Elliott did in his last year at Ohio State, it was 36 and 40. Uh, I, I don't watch college football, but I assume you've got to be pretty good to do something like that. Uh, and yeah. he's he's uh, the size where you both rush and receive it. It's called the um, something that um, Sean Siegel at Rotoviz uh, called the Goldilocks zone. You want a running back to be about 210 to 225, and he's 5'11", 210. And that means that they, they are likely to play both roles. Um, and uh, my problem with Dalvin Cook is he's really expensive for what his floor is. I think there's a real good chance that Latavius Murray is the goal line back and Jarek McKinnon t- still has a lot of targets. Um, and I think the chance of that is too high for what Dalvin Cook costs. Um, as far as the Vikings having a good team, I, I think uh, they're going to be a lot better because Sam Bradford's going to be a lot more familiar with it. And I, uh, I am all over Stephen Diggs, uh, one player oh, who yeah. every every draft at his cost, uh, I would advocate for is Stephen Diggs. Yep, I uh, com- I would want to just completely agree with that. I've said that a few times on like Mocker and I are pretty much in lockstep on the Diggs thing for sure. So how how good do you guys think Diggs is? I know there was someone on someone in draft Twitter said something about him being better than Antonio Brown like two weeks ago or something like that. What? Everyone yeah, but yeah. people people just do that with with Brown for like legitimately no reason. Either I I don't know everybody, but everybody wants to compare every small receiver to Antonio Brown, and it's it's a little bit exhausting just because for one Brown is for for my money Brown is still the best receiver in the NFL. Um, and we don't have to try to compare every player to him. I, I don't understand what why anybody would feel the need to to slander Brown to praise another player. But I do think I do think he's along that same archetype that that being Stefan Diggs. I think he's I think he's he has super, legitimate superstar potential. I know they used him a lot as like a short area slot receiver last year, but they kind of constricted that entire passing game as the year went along. But like he was ripping up teams vertically in the first few weeks of the season. He just basically needs to stay. The only thing he, with him is he just needs to stay healthy. Like other than that, he he'll, he'll absolutely smash his cost, which for whatever reason, like in on a casual ADP site, like a fantasy football calculator, he's still like a, a sub 30 wide receiver that goes in like the seventh round, which is, that's just stupid. So I, I think he has legit superstar potential. Um, I don't particularly know if he's good. I don't. I don't really care. <laughs> Mark, uh, do you watch football? Do you watch football? Yeah, I watch the NFL <laughs> After the regular season is over, I have so much trouble paying attention because there's no fantasy. Um, I get the playoffs last for like four and a half hours, and there's some asshole in a cowboy hat at halftime, and I'm just like, what the hell? 
I, I have so much trouble with, with playoffs. I agree. Um, the playoffs are awful and should be banished forever. Um, As a Packers fan, agree. Strong agree. <laughs> the most predictive thing about Diggs is um, – the or sorry, the most predictive thing for wide receivers uh, are targets year over year. Uh, the thing you want to tr- the, the thing you want to go after are wide receivers who are maturing into the prime age range for wide receivers who are getting tons and tons of targets and the personnel on their team is the same and they're in a better th- the same or a better situation than last year. All of that applies to Diggs. He was getting eight point seven targets a game uh, from week five on, despite having like three or four injuries. Uh, he had hit knee and groin injuries, and he was still wide receiver 31. And Sam Bradford was traded to them in September. Like, like I, Diggs is going to murder in a normal condition, in like normal conditions. He has like the upside of like right below those those top guys. All right, we go. We go in last question, Charles. Yeah, one more question. Uh, let's see All right, what so we I got, got I got a guy, uh, ch- chandelier bling. No, f- no, 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 no. Uh, Forget that. No no no, 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 no. Uh, next question and last question from our friend Ethan Hammerman at Ethan Ham. We can expand it to all of draft Twitter if you wish. Pick one person to do, one person to marry, one person to kill. Oh my gosh, I'm just gonna. Can I just kill everybody? I don't. I don't have any use for uh, for doing any of you, them or you, marrying you would, them. You would kill Josh Norris? Wow, that's very. Uh, I, I guess that's kind of harsh. I I feel like I could. I feel like I could maybe marry Josh. He's a good cook. I would marry Justice. <laughs> We're cutting the audio of that. That's that's going on the Twitter. That's going on Twitter.com. <laughs> I mean, look, it's in the context of the question. I think I could marry Josh. I mean, I think we would get along. He's very easygoing. I've met him in real life now. He's, you know, he's like a good, you know, solid. He's a person. nice dude. Yeah, he's very nice. I don't know who I'd, I don't know who I would want to like. I don't know who I'd want to do though. I mean, Trevor Sikkim is pretty good looking. <laughs> Shout out to Trevor. Very now, handsome. Now, if you want to talk about the kill list, that's like three miles. No, that's scroll. yeah, Come yeah. On. We don't have we don't have that much we don't have that much time left. Yeah, not at all. Marco, do you want to answer this question? Who? Uh, I don't really know the people like who are draft Twitter. Who is someone that people say like you're really handsome? No homo to a lot. <laughs> Trevor Sigma, definitely. Trevor Sigma, yeah, yeah, without doubt. People still say, say no. Though, do people still? Do people still say no homo? Do people still do that? Draft like, Twitter I, is still Neanderthal like, ages. Their haircut a lot. Like, however straight guys like say that other straight guys look good without admitting it. You know yeah. what? It's Trevor. Trevor <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely Trevor. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. I don't do the whole facial hair thing. So I know he has like some chin thing going on. It's very Florida. I don't know what's going <laughs> so, on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I would, I, if Ethan counts as draft Twitter, I would marry Ethan because I think, um, we could like have like, uh, like, you know, raise a Jewish child together and have an open marriage where neither of us cared what the other did. I think that would work really well. Um, I would, I, I, I have, I have a fact that might change that, that, that thought. Uh, we were in Mobile two years ago and Charles and I saw Ethan order fireball on the rocks. Would you marry that person? Whoa. I, I, again, I think it would be uh, like a strictly transactional marriage. 
and like a lot of benefits. <laughs> I think you know. Yeah, do it for the money. Uh, uh, I'd kill um, uh, pretty much like anyone who said something bad about like Colin Kaepernick, yes. Hillary Clinton, or um, said something good about Joe Paterno. All of those people. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, you're taking out a big, big like portion of people if you talk about anti-cap anti-clinton pro joe paterno joe paterno who is in hell shout out our friend hank jones uh damn he, he, he just killed off tom Bali. oh man yeah that tom do you guys oh, see that tom Bali rant the other day no oh well i saw he was tweet like i saw he was tweeting i like how was that the one here he announced like tom Bali is tweeting his thoughts or whatever yeah yeah which it, like, which i caps. think which yeah, which I think is kind of nice. I I I th- I'm thinking about adopting that same policy. Like when I'm about to tweet some stuff, like uh, my, Matt Harmon is tweeting his thoughts. <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice introduction. Combo basically said that like if if Joe Paterno should get in trouble for the Penn State thing, then Robert Kraft should be charged with Aaron Hernandez like the murders that Aaron Hernandez did. Oh my God, that's the worst thing yeah. I've ever heard. Wait. We don't know what the Patriots knew. Let's, you know, hey, you know. Nah, I think they kind of knew. Look, I will not be speaking publicly on a recorded device about any NFL. (laughs) 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 I don't know, like, what, like, the college take is. Do people think Urban Meyer knew? Oh, yes, yes. Urban Meyer and Bill Belichick are really, really good friends, aren't they? No, see, here's my conspiracy theory. I think that Bill Belichick killed that guy. And what happened oh, was yeah. they had just oh, they, okay. no, they had just right. they had just <laughs> given no, no, no. Listen to this. Matt, you can leave. They, Matt, you they can had leave. just given. Yeah, I'm gonna get five. not. I'm not gonna have a job tomorrow. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, awful situation. Uh, you guys you got anything you're working on that you want to let the people know about? <laughs> Uh, I, I, if you guys, if anybody out there is interested and please do this because I won't be employed by NFL.com much longer after this podcast, uh, you can go to <laughs> receptionperception.com and purchase all of the purchase access to all the receiver charting I did. You get, you know, all the route running metrics and everything that I look at. It's information you can't find anywhere else. If you just go to, like I said, receptionperception.com, there's a picture of my cute little face. And if you click on that, it will take you to a link to purchase the draft kit with all that information. All right, that sounds good. Mocker? Um, I'd like to promote Colin Kaepernick and his message, and anyone who disagrees should do some self-examination. Why? I completely 100% agree. Let us hope that uh, he gets on the team soon and gets to play some football this year, but I don't know. I, I think the, each day passes, I get a little bit less optimistic. Um, so, yeah, to end that on a somber note, Godspeed, Colin Kaepernick. Thank you to Mocker and Matt Harmon for coming on. We'll be back next week. Or actually, no, we'll be back tomorrow with one take on each team, 32 hot takes. So we'll be back at episode 34 of Seven the Edge tomorrow. Thank you again to Mock, 14 Team Mocker and Matt Harmon of NFL.com for joining us, and we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>